Well, good morning. When we uh, use a term like missional or evangelism or gospel-centered mission, what does that bring up in, into your mind? You know, whose responsibility is it to be missional? Whose responsibility is it to share the gospel? Whose responsibility is it to show the love of Christ in our everyday walk? It's quite humorous, isn't it, as we looked at the banner man and as we looked at the, the fellow on the microphone and their view on what it was to be missional. And I want to spend some time this morning just talking about that term. It's a, it's a fairly new term. It's a sort of in vogue term. In the last, it's sort of developed in the last, I guess, 15 years. And uh, as you may have picked up, this, this morning is a, a focus on mission, a focus on declaring Jesus, a focus on sharing the gospel. And as is mentioned, we've done it in reverse. Instead of going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, we've gone from the uttermost parts of the world to Samaria, to Judea. And now the rubber hits the road with, with us. Here in Kilsyth, Victoria. So in your mind... What does it mean to be missional? You know, after all, isn't evangelism something that's kind of selective? Isn't it a gift that God gives certain people? Or is it something a little bit more than that? You know, I guess in our church tradition, we've had a, a strong tradition of having a gospel service or running a crusade or uh, having a special evangelistic event. Are those things missional? Or is making disciples, impacting communities for Christ, something more? That's my challenge for you today. So could you please turn with me to Philippians? We're just going to very briefly look at a couple of verses in Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, please help yourself to one. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. I'm going to read uh, four verses. Philippians 1, verse 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and are not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear 
that I still have. Paul has written this letter to a church in Philippi. It's a deeply personal letter. It's a letter that uh, comes from his heart for a, a people he loves. He had founded this church somewhere around AD 51 on his second missionary journey. You could read about it in Acts chapter 16. It was the first Gentile church in the known world. He'd moved through Asia in his first missionary journey, etc. This is the first time Paul had actually stepped foot in, into Europe. He'd moved from Asia Minor up into Europe and he touched base at Philippi. You can remember there were three significant things that probably happened when this church was born. You would uh, perhaps remember if you read Acts 16 that Lydia from Thyatira was converted at the start of this church plant. She had settled in Philippi, obviously selling her goods in a, in a a very Roman city. Outside Rome, this city was considered to be the most Roman of all cities that Paul would have ever come across. It had a very strong Greek culture as well because uh, back in about 300 uh, BC, Alexandria had made this the center of Greek culture. But subsequently got conquered over the years and Rome had a huge influence over this particular city. There, there are very few Jews in Philippi. We know that because when Paul first went into Philippi, where did he go? His normal practice would be to go to the synagogue, but he did not do that because there was none. He went to the riverside. That's where he found Lydia. That's where he found uh, people praising and worshipping God. And he proclaimed Christ. So we have Lydia's conversion. The second thing we have here is that uh, as a common practice in a, in a pagan city, there were charlatans making a living out of a demonic-possessed girl. And uh, Paul and Silas exercised the demons away from this girl. And that upset the locals. It upset their flow of income. It upset their, their means of living. And... Uh, so what subsequently happened, they complained to the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities grabbed Paul and Silas and they whacked them into jail. That night, what happened? A mighty earthquake shook the dungeon free. Now, I know here in Australia, we don't often come under the, the force of a mighty earthquake. But it's a frightening experience, I can tell you. As one who affectionately calls home the shaky isles, we understand what uh, the earth beneath us is like when things start shaking. You know what? When the earth shakes, you have absolutely no control of anything. It's an act of God. But this particular act of God was miraculous in the fact that the dungeons were flying over and then we have the Philippian jailer who's about to put a sword through himself because he thought the... Uh, the captives were freed, but deep back in the dungeon, Paul and Silas are sitting there singing praises to God. He says, don't do yourself in, we are all here. And the Philippine jailer and his wife and his family came to faith in Christ. That's the background of this church. And I would suggest to you that 
the book of Philippians is our first missional community. You read some of the verses through here. You read Philippians 1, 5, and in his salutation to the Philippians, Paul says, you know, I pray for you all the time with great joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. A little bit further down, verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul's heart for these folks was to continue the exhortation because they loved proclaiming Christ. And he exhorts them, and I want to do the same this morning as we've thought about mission, as we've thought about the impact of the gospel in our lives and how that should influence what we do beyond these walls. And I want to use these verses in chapter 1 from verse 27 to 30 just to encourage you. We'll briefly look at them now. Firstly, what does he say? To further exhort them, they're already very missional. This church has sent a wonderful gift to Paul. They've sent Epaphroditus, a personal assistance to minister to Paul in his time of need. By all accounts, they're a very poor church, so they actually gave out of their poverty in a very generous way. They were living the gospel. They were in an environment that demanded that. But Paul exhorts them further. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. The intent of this saying is is wonderful. He says, conduct yourselves as citizens of Christ. He calls them to appropriate conduct as ministers of the gospel. He consistently puts before them, don't forget that you're a follower of Jesus and what you do reflects on him. And that's it with us, isn't it? As a follower of Christ, what we do reflects upon Christ. Why? Because we are citizens under the headship of Christ. That's our position. And the result of this will be a testimony beyond the walls of Philippi. That's what he says here. So even if Paul said, even if I come to you and and see what is going on, I will see that you are aligning yourself as a citizen of Christ. And you think about this as a very Roman Roman, uh, city. He is calling them to be countercultural. No allegiance to the emperor, allegiance to Christ. Now we might not get that in our culture because we don't have the same... uh, influence across our society. Like no one in the 14 years that we've lived here has come to me and says, you must be a citizen of Australia. Because Australia is such a wonderful place. You must be politically, economically, etc. No one in this culture comes and does that. But in this culture, back when this letter was written, that would have been an underwritten rule. Rome was considered the center of the universe. And to be a citizen of Rome was the most powerful thing on earth at the time because they were a world empire. 
But counterculturally, to be missional, Paul is saying, no, you are a citizen of Christ, now act like it, behave like it, live like it. Live for the gospel. Be so captivated by the gospel of God's grace that it overflows into your everyday walk of life. The wonderful missionary Amy Carmichael made this wonderful statement. God, hold us to that which first drew us. When the cross was the attraction and we wanted nothing else. God, hold us to that which drew us first. When the cross was the attraction and we wanted nothing else. That's the heart of being missional. It's to fall in love with the Savior every day through the power of his grace and looking at the gospel. The testimony also will be displayed in several ways according to these verses. Okay, even if I come to see you or I hear about you, that you are what? Standing firm. Standing firm is a very military term and you can think about standing firm in a line of going out to war. You know, as you start the process of warring against somebody else militarily, you stand side by side. This is a term he's using here. Because standing firm shows you're ready for the battle and standing firm shows unity. So he's grappling with this issue. If you want to be a citizen of Christ, you need to be unified in Christ and you stand firm side by side. Like a good soldier. He also uses here uh, the term standing firm with one spirit and one mind. That just displays what unity is. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, striving side by side, it's another verb that is, has its uh, background in the athletic arena. And it has the thought that if you play a team sport, then as a team... Your effectiveness is always as you strive as a team. You're only good as your weakest player. If you ever play any team sport, that becomes fairly obvious. And this is the intent he's putting in here. So he's saying, as a good citizen of Christ, as a person who wants to proclaim the gospel of Christ, stand firm like those in military battle side by side, defending the faith. Strive together as a team. You're not someone in isolation here when it comes to the gospel. Take encouragement from one another. Wasn't it, hasn't it been incredibly encouraging today as you've heard of the Lord's work through many different servants in this place? That's wonderfully encouraging, is it not? That God's spirit has grabbed the hearts of men and women and we see service abounding through here. Let us not be boastful in that. Let us continually get back to the source of the service and it's Christ. So stand together in that. Strive together. Let's encourage one another in striving side by side. Another fellow by the name of Oswald Chambers. He's the um, my utmost for your highest devotional guide. Some of you will be uh, 
aware of that, wrote this. It is easier to be an excessive fanatic than to be consistently faithful. Because God causes an amazing humbling of our religious conceit when we are faithful to him. Faithfulness is at the core of missional life. That's what Paul's saying here. Stand firm, strive together. Verse 28, and don't be frightened, if anything, by your opponents. It's going to be hard work. You're going to face opposition as you're missional. This word frighten only appears once in the New Testament. It's right here, and it, it sort of has the idea of uh, being spooked by a horse. Um, and it's kind of humorous because yesterday my lovely wife was out in the garden and I was watching her, as, a, as you do, having a cup of tea while someone works, and that's a fairly common thing. And, and she was pruning uh, ferociously a eucalyptic tree in the back of the garden. And she was pouring away. And all of a sudden, I hit the stump on the ground. I thought, oh, Julie's fallen over. No, she'd woken a possum that fell straight out of the tree right next to her. And uh, it reminded me of this word because I saw someone spooked. <laughs> and it was kind of humorous that that would spook you. But saying here, as a follower of Christ, don't be frightened by the opposition. The opposition will come. Rest in Christ. And he further tells you this in verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Let me read that again. Did you get that fully? As a follower of Christ, it's been granted to you. It's a gracious gift of God that you will suffer for him. As I wrestled with this text, I didn't like what I was wrestling with. But this is the heart of being missional. You will face opposition, but you struggle in the power of the Spirit. You struggle because Christ has granted you the privilege to be partakers with him. The privilege, it is a graced gift. You know, this verse is probably would be better rendered in this way. For it's been granted as an act of grace for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Being a good citizen, you have the privilege of suffering. So what does it mean and what does it look like for you and I? This is the theology of being missional, but practically how does that look? I'll give you some applications here for you to consider. One of the most powerful things is your circle of friends that you have, whether it's within work, whether it's within school, whether it's within your family. What contact do you have with non-believers? Because when you're a missional, you'll be intentional about those relationships. If you are driven by the love of Christ and his grace, you'll be intentional about those 
people that God puts in your path. If you're struggling with that, get on your knees and pray. Because you'll be surprised who God will put across your path. And you'll be surprised at how God will use you. So as a first point of application, get yourself a little list together. Think about every social environment you're involved with. Be intentional about those relationships. For me, it looks like I play volleyball on a Tuesday night. I play volleyball with eight unregenerates. It's not hard to know that when the heat of competition occurs. But you know what? About six months ago, I thought, why am I really doing this? Is it because I just want to exceed in this or just enjoy the game? No, I'm doing it because I want to make intentional relationships with these guys and share the love of Christ. So I'm now committed to pray for them. Recently had an opportunity just to share the gospel with one of them. You may have an unbelieving family member. You may live with an unbelieving family member. Pray that the Lord will use you to be missional. I'm going to stop there because time has gone. There's much more I could say. But I really want you to think through that. Mission and evangelism is not for a selectly few. It is for all. Get yourself a prayer list together and pray about each social environment you're involved with. Be intentional. Be good citizens by standing firm, by striving together, by not fearing our opponents, but rejoicing in the fact that you have the privilege to suffer for Christ. Thanks, music team.